Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast, where we are happy to teach and preach the Catholic faith that comes down for 2,000 years from Jesus and the apostles, without apology and without compromise. So on our channel, we like to help Catholics to really know their faith. And sometimes we invite guests on who are experts in certain areas to help us to know our faith and to really, you know, understand it on a deeper level. And today, I would like to invite to our show, Gary Machuda, who is an Old Testament scholar, and we're going to be talking about the subject of the Old Testament canon. Did Catholics add seven books to the Bible, or did Protestants take away seven books from the Bible? That's the question that we have to answer today. In fact, we had a video on this already, and I'm going to link it below so you can see the whole thing. It was about an hour and 10 minutes, and people loved it, but they wanted a shorter version. And so in this video, we're going to be giving a shorter version of it, probably about 20 minutes or so, so you can share it with friends and family and learn the information for yourself. So thank you, Gary Machuda, for joining us today on our show. Well, thanks, Brian. And, you know, I'm six foot eight, so I always want a shorter version of myself, too. So we have a lot. (laughs) Really? You don't look that tall uh, on the screen. Yeah, I look a lot shorter on TV. (laughs) Well, welcome. I'm uh, happy to have you back. And we're going to talk about the uh, Bible canon today because it's an interesting question of historicity and truth. And uh, to start with, if you could just give us maybe summarize the argument uh, between Protestants and Catholics uh, regarding the seven books, just for our listeners, like what, what's the argument between the two religions? Yeah, well, uh, uh, Protestants are missing seven books uh, in their Old Testaments, uh, along with some chapters in Daniel and Esther that are present in Catholic and Orthodox Bibles. And they call these sections the, the Apocrypha, which means hidden. And for them, they're no different than human writings. They're not part of the Bible. They're not part of the canon, and you can't prove doctrine from it. We're Catholic and Orthodox. We hold all seven books as inspired and canonical, and they can be used for proofs. So uh, the issue is, which one was the true canon that Jesus and his inspired apostles handed on to the church as Scripture? And that's where we divide right there. (laughs) Indeed. And I know on our YouTube channel here, all throughout the comment sections, people are saying you added seven books, you added seven books. And we've had this conversation so many times, but I don't think the people have actually studied the history on this because they could not say Catholics have added books if they've actually studied history on this. And uh, I know you have a whole book on it and it's called uh, Why Catholic Bibles Are Bigger. And I'll link that below if people are interested in the full history. But really, it came down to the Protestants. I mean, Protestants pretty much removed all the books as late as the 1800s from the Bible. And um, it was before that. But maybe before we even get to that, can you give an explanation? Uh, Just a simple, quick, brief overview of the biblical canon, how it was made, and were those seven books part of the original Bible? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Protestants say we added these books. Um, we say that Protestants removed the book. What I love about it, it's really a question of history. It's not a question of interpretation. So you got to dig into history. Um, how do we know that these books were part of the Bible? Well, we have to go through history, beginning with Jesus, you know, the New Testament, Jesus and his apostles. Um, did they use these books authoritatively? That's the first level, because we're trying to determine which books did Jesus and the apostles hand on. So and we find lots of indications in the New Testament that these books were considered inspired scripture. 
for I, I in my in my book uh, why catholic bible was a bigger i give several of these and also i have another book called the case for the deuterocanon where i i look at these passages so for example uh matthew 27 43 the chief priests, scribes and elders say let's see if god's going to rescue him for he said i am the son of god where did they get the biblical justification for the expectation that god is going to save the the true son of god well in the protestant old testament there's nothing but it is there in wisdom chapter 2 i think it's verse 18 where if the just one be the son of god god will rescue him from his foes so they're using this as an inspired text and you can see all sorts of indications like one of my favorites is uh, Hebrews 11.35. You know, Hebrews 11 is the great faith chapter, and it says that what the, the characters they're going to adduce are attested to, apparently in Scripture, because they're all biblical characters. In verse 35, it talks about those who are tortured, refused release for the sake of a better resurrection. If you look in the Protestant Bible, there's no one that fits those three descriptors. In the Catholic Orthodox Bibles, we find them in Second Maccabees chapter seven or six and seven. So uh, Hebrews apparently believe that the Maccabees are biblical characters, but how can that be if they were never part of the Bible? And then you could look at the early church. You know, how did the early church use these books? And actually, in, in all my books, I, I trace through the history and I show that you know from the Apostolic Fathers onwards. Uh, the early Christians used these books as scripture. They uh, uh, appealed to them to confirm doctrine. And although they recognized that in the, the rabbis didn't accept these books, nevertheless, they held on to them and used them as inspired scripture. And really, the first person to call the Deuterocanon what Protestants call it, the Apocrypha, doesn't come till the fourth century with Jerome. Uh, Jerome's the, the Grinch that you know assigned these books to the Apocrypha, and uh, and he did it on uh, he did it through a mistaken understanding of how the text of the Old Testament is transmitted, uh, which we could go on. Actually, the Dead Sea Scrolls prove that he was wrong, but nevertheless, he's the first one in history to call these Apocrypha. In order for them to be scripture, they had to be written in Hebrew, right? And he couldn't find any, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he couldn't find any manuscripts in Hebrew. So he basically, for him, that was enough to say that they're not inspired. But they were found in Hebrew in the Dead Sea Scrolls, so he just didn't have access to them at that time. Is that correct? Yeah, that's essentially it. He thought, you know, there was all sorts of Greek translations, Latin translations, but there was only one Hebrew translation. So he thought, well, this must go back to the original. So whatever wasn't in it isn't canonical. And like you said, the Dead Sea Scrolls, we, we found out that there are many different Hebrew and Aramaic translations that Jerome didn't know about. So it wasn't until the 1940s we could demonstrate he was wrong. But nevertheless, he the impact of Jerome and his opinions on this kind of carries over till the Middle Ages when eventually Protestants reject the books. And it's funny because Protestants love to quote Jerome as if he's the Pope or as if he's like the, the like the biggest person in the church. Like he's one person, you know, with one opinion and everybody disagreed with him. And, you know, it's just funny how they hyper focus on him, even though he was wrong. They still hyper focus on him. And I, I find that interesting. Yeah. And that's because he's the only one to call them Apocrypha. I mean, there really isn't <laughs> anyone else they could, you know. And, and it, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's very interesting that the Catholic Church nonetheless took uh, the seven books. I mean, St. Jerome doesn't have authority from Christ. 
The Catholic Church has authority from Christ because it was started by Christ, and with that authority, the Catholic Church chose those seven extra books to be part of the canon, along with all the other books that we know are now part of the canon. And it was the Catholic Church at the Council of Rome in 382, the Synod of uh, Hippo in 393, and officially finalized at uh, the Council of Carthage in 397, and it was ratified by the Pope in the early 400s. So, I mean, when the Pope ratified that uh, first Bible, those seven books were part of the Bible, and basically he had a lot of uh, anathemas for people who didn't accept this as an authoritative list, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, in fact, it's interesting because Protestants will appeal to these North African councils for the New Testament canon, you know, that, see, the church officially designates these books as scripture in the New Testament, but they, they rarely mention the Old Testament because those very same councils that affirm today's New Testament also from the Catholic and Orthodox larger with the, with the Deuterocanon in it. Yeah, they'll accept a little of the authority, but not, not too much. We can't go too far. <laughs> yeah, which makes you wonder, why were they right on the New Testament but got it wrong on the Old? Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so, and I, and I got into an argument with a Protestant once, and I showed him the writings of the Pope, the official writings of the official books, which included the seven books. And he's like, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree then. And I'm like, no, this is black and white history. You can't prove that they, I mean, I could show you that they were in every Bible up through the Protestant Reformation, but you can't, ha you don't have any evidence to show that they were added at a later period of time. So, let me ask you, Gary, if they were there the whole time, when and why did Protestants remove them? Like, what was the reason? Yeah, well, yeah, I have an interesting video on my channel, Apocrypha Apocalypse, where I talk about Martin Luther. Actually, Martin Luther used these books in debate to serve as proofs. In other words, he used the Deuterocanon as scripture all the way up to 1519. Uh in 1519, he was in the debate with Johann Eck over purgatory. Eck cited, along with some other text, uh, 2 Maccabees 12:46. It's a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead that they may be loosed from their sins. And at that time, he does this flip-flop where before he used them in debate, now he says you can't use these in debate. They're not canonical. They might have weight with the faithful, but they won't per persuade the obstinate. And he was obstinate. So he said, yeah, Maccabees has weight, but not against me. And uh, from that point on, Luther would not accept uh, the uh, Deuterocanon, because later he appeals to Jerome. Like we said, you know, there's Jerome's always appealed to. And once he does that, then all seven go, even though he actually had very high opinions of, like, first Maccabees and a few other Deuterocanonical books. So he relegated them to the back of his Bible, but he kept them in the Bible as as useful books. Yeah, he didn't remove the book. And this is one of those myths Catholics have, that uh, Luther removed the books, but he never did. He we did something interesting. He took all the books, the Deuterocanon, which, by the way, was intermixed with the Protocanon. He gathered them together and put them in an appendix between the Old and the New Testament with, like, a warning that this is Apocrypha, it's, it's good to read, but you know, it can't confirm doctrine. And Protestant Bibles uh, modeled their Bibles after Luther. They all gathered it together, put it in an appendix, had a warning on it, but it still remained in Protestant Bibles. 
if I'm not mistaken, it was even in the original King James Version, right? The King James Version, the, the first one still had these seven books, right? Yeah, 1611 King James, you have the Geneva Bible, uh, and a lot of uh, very uh, venerated English translations as well. They all had them there. And, Brian, they also had foot cross-references from the old, uh, from, excuse me, from the New Testament to the Deuterocanon. So if you pick up a King James Bible, you know, a facsimile of the original, you'll find references in the New Testament telling the reader to go to the so-called Apocrypha, which is an admission that the New Testament's using these books. Yeah, that's very interesting. And we'll, we'll come back to that point in a second. But I want to know when, at, at, I guess, at what point did they finally remove the books from the Bible? I mean, they relegated them to the back of the Bible, which to me is proof that they were there from the beginning and not added if they were already there and they had to be relegated to the back of the Bible or relegated to the Apocrypha. Means It means they were there. Argument settled. But, but at some point they were removed from Protestant Bibles. When was that and why? what was the reason? Yeah, in Why Catholic Bibles Are Bigger, I actually traced the trajectory of this. Uh, so it was kept in the appendix between the old and the new. And then there's the uh, the Council of Dort, which was a Reformed Council. And the Reformed Council, that uh, they wanted to remove it, but even Calvinists w knew it, was part, it should be in the Bible. So at Dort, it's moved from between the Old and New to the back of the Bible. And it was printed in smaller type, and it had critical notes on there to correct, you know, er Catholic errors. And then uh, it wasn't until the 1820s that actually some reformed uh protestants uh, with the uh the edinburgh and glasgow bible societies um kind of ganged together against the british and foreign bible society saying look you can't be supplying money to protestants to print bibles with the so-called apocrypha and uh so they threatened to leave uh the british and foreign bible society said fine we'll cut all funding and they left anyway and once that was done, that kind of turned a tide because now a majority of Protestant Bibles now no longer have these books in them, even though earlier Protestant Bibles all had them. You know, so the Bible that uh, a Protestant would pick up off the shelf today not only doesn't correspond with the earlier Protestant Bibles, but it also doesn't correspond to the ancient Christian Bible either because it's missing these books. And you said that uh, the people, the Protestants were upset at the beginning that people were thinking about taking these books out, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially Lutherans, uh, mm -hmm. because they continued, they wanted their Bible just like Luther had it. And the idea of actually removing this appendix uh, meant uh, that they couldn't have the Bible as they always used it. So, yeah, there was a revolt on the continent about that. <laughs> And that's telling, too, because it says that the books were there. Protestants had them. Protestants liked them. Protestants didn't want them removed, but eventually they were removed. So, I mean, to me, this is black and white history, and I, I know you'd agree with that. Um, but what does this say? I mean, I mean, Protestants are all, not that I agree with it because they, they, they quote these verses out of context, but they say that nobody shall add or subtract you know, from the Bible, or else they're against God. And yet, they're subtracting seven books that were originally there from the beginning. And uh, go ahead. 
Yeah, I was, they literally have nullified the word of God for the sake of their tradition. <laughs> and, and that's usually a verse they quote against Catholics. But like you said, it's, it's right there in history, black and white. Yeah. And we love Protestants. I just want to point that out. I love my Protestant brothers and sisters. But this is why we're having this discussion, because God is a God of truth. And we want to get to the truth. And if people love God and love truth, well, they, sometimes we buy lies. Sometimes we're just fed with it by the traditions we've received. And so if we can point people back to the truth that the Catholic Church put the Bible together, put, uh, canonized it with the authority that Christ gave her, and all the Bibles for over 1,100 years had them until they were relegated and had it for over 1,500 years till they were removed. I mean, something's a muck here. You know, like, we got to get back to the original church. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's strange that this has been forgotten. I mean, many Protestants today never heard of the so-called Apocrypha. They're yeah. not familiar with the books. If they are, it's usually because there's Protestant apologists out there that will give arguments against them. But they don't realize that this was part of the Protestant Bible since Luther, you know, up to the 1820s. I'll be honest with you. I've done a lot of apologetics over the last few decades, and I've talked to a lot of Protestant pastors, and the majority, by far and away, have not have no idea what the biblical canon is, how it came about, where it came from, or even that the Catholic Church gave it to us. And so um, I think it's good that people realize that um, and the authority that comes with that that the Catholic Church has. I mean, would you say that if people accept the authority of the, the New Testament canon, shouldn't they accept the authority of the church that put it together? Yeah, that, that would stand to reason because, you know, the church of the fourth century, they were just rubber stamping what had been the, the constant practice in the West and most of the East. You know, it's, it's uh, if you reject those councils, then how do you determine which books belong in the Bible and which ones don't? And that's where it really gets dangerous because people will propose criteria that, uh, you know, you could determine whether this book belongs in Scripture because of X, Y, and Z. And quite frankly, it's like if you honestly apply those, you're going to end up with a lot less Bible uh, books in your Bible than you already have, even with the New Testament. Yeah, right. For example, like people will say, well, Christ never quoted from those books. Therefore, you know, they're not legitimate. They're not true scripture. But there's a big problem with that, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely, because <laughs> he didn't quote from quite a few. In fact, he didn't even allude to, I mean, the, not only Jesus, but the whole New Testament to Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and Esther. That's not even alluded to, much less quoted. So if you're going to use that criteria to determine which books are inspired, you know, you better get your scissors out because you have some extra books in your Bible. Especially since you show in your book why Catholic Bibles are bigger, that there are many references to the uh, deuterocanonical books from the New Testament. So it's kind of a, a lose-lose in that argument. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it isn't whether or not it's quoted. What matters is how is it used? When it's used, how is it used? And I think if you look at how the Deuterocan is used in the New Testament, it's clearly used as sacred authoritative sources. And uh, another br brief uh, question I have here is, uh, so it's a very emotional, subjective argument, but some people will say, well, I've read the Bible and I don't feel that those books are inspired. You know, I, when I read the Bible, I, I feel the spirit in these books, but I don't feel them in these books. I mean, there's no confirmation bias from the beginning there, but let's just say there wasn't. You know, there, what do you say about that? Yeah, this is, you know, the attestation of the Holy Spirit, you know, <laughs> that you read it and you feel, you know, the, the, the sheep know the shepherd's voice, that type of thing. 
And quite frankly, I mean, if you didn't grow up with these books, it will sound foreign. But that's a terrible way to determine whether or not something is inspired because you can't trust your feelings. How do you know it's the Holy Spirit prompting you and not the unholy spirit, you know, some demon or something? Moreover, uh, you know, there are Protestants who have read the Deuterocanon and felt moved and felt like they are inspired scripture. How do you answer that? And it also comes perilously close to the burning of the bosom with Mormons, as you well know, right, Brian? Because... You know, they, they will do the same thing. Uh, and f as a final point, too, how do you know, even if, the, even if that's a valid way of knowing what is Scripture, how do you know that those are only the books that are Scripture? Because have you read other books to see whether or not the Holy Spirit has attested to it? How do you know Enoch, First Enoch, or Second Baruch, or Jubilees, or some other text? You know, it, yeah. you'll never have a closed, fixed canon. There's yeah. always the possibility you could read something and say, hey, this is inspired. There were hundreds of other epistles and gospels and manuscripts that the Catholic Church had to sift through between, before choosing these ones. But has have people read all of those? That's a great point. How do we know they're not inspired unless you've read them? And who has the authority if people are going to reject these seven books based on nothing, based on just saving money and other issues that Protestants were, were having or they're too Catholic? who is the final authority on these? Can, can Martin Luther said you can anyone at all can decide on Revelation. I choose to reject it. I don't think it has the mark of an apostle. I don't accept Revelation, but I'm keeping it in the Bible and you can make up your own mind. I mean, okay, well, what about the other apostles? And what about the other books? I mean, if we keep going this and everyone has their way of choosing, then can we take out books at any time, at any moment? Yeah, yeah. Was it Geisler who said that uh, you, uh, the best you have is a, a fallible collection of infallible books? Which, you know, what good is that? Because, and how do you know it's infallible, that they're infallible? Right. Uh, yeah, the, the bottom line is that the collection of inspired text isn't something that we construct. It's rather something that's received, right? So, again, we have to go back to Christ and the Apostles which books did they hand on to the church to be read as inspired scripture in a liturgy? And I think if you look at history carefully, uh, I think the case is very clear that the Diderot canon was part of that collection. Uh, last objection, you know, and there's there was more, but people will say that, well, the Jews don't accept the books, so therefore we just agree with the Jews. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the question is, well, how do you define the Jews, right? Because Judaism in the New Testament is a very different entity than Judaism after the first century. Judaism went through a cataclysmic change with the first mm -hmm. and second Jewish revolts. And the later Judaism is called rabbinic Judaism. They lost the temple. They couldn't offer sacrifices. And they became a religion of the book. Okay, And it's really there that the rabbis decided to fix their canon and they excluded these books. But what year was that roughly, Gary? Sometime between AD 100 to AD 132. Okay. So it's post-Christian. Now the question is, what authority do Jews after the time of Christ have to fix the canon, right? And the answer for a Christian is there is no authority. Right? It's not exactly. binding on us. What is authoritative is what Christ and his apostles handed on. And like I said, in Why Catholic Bibles Are Bigger and My Case for the Deuterocanon, I show you that even from Jewish sources, 
that the Deuterocanon was accepted by Christians in the first century. It's very interesting. I think it's so funny that people will say, well, the Jews didn't accept it. I'm like, the Jews rejected Christ. <laughs> like, is that your, your, your inspired authority? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like the Jerome. It's like, we'll hyper-focus on anything that'll prove our point. And it's not to mock Protestants. It's just to call them to something perhaps a little bit more truthful because we can't accept, we don't accept the Jews for anything else because they have no authority after Christ left them. So right. um, I think it's pretty clear, and I think you've shown us that the original Bible had the seven books. Every Bible after that for over uh, 1,100 years had the seven books. They were relegated to the back of the Protestant Bibles, which means the seven books were there and they weren't added. And then they were finally taken out in the 1800s, which is almost modern day. Like it's a very recent thing. And it, and I, I've read you know a lot of your book and the reasons that they give for getting rid of the books really weren't that good. You know, it's not like they were for theological reasons. They were really pretty poor reasons. And uh, there was a lot of infighting on it. But the bottom line is Catholics didn't add the books. Protestants took them away. And we want to call Protestants in love back to the fullness of Christ's church, the Catholic church, which he started 2,000 years ago. And with that authority, they canonized the Bible, copied it for over a thousand years and taught it and gave it to the world. And I'm thankful for being Catholic and I'm thankful for Christ for starting um, our church. And I'm also thankful for you to, for coming on our show today, Gary. Uh, the honor's all my Brian, anytime. And uh, I'm going to link your books and your uh, YouTube channel down below in our description section. So if anyone's interested in seeing more that Gary has and his expertise on this, feel free to check out our description section below. You'll also see our podcast down there. You'll also see our Facebook and our Instagram. Just follow us for daily inspiration. And uh, we hope to uh, have inspired you in your faith today. So thanks so much for watching and God bless.